Free Talk Live. What's up, all of our brand new Liberty-loving friends? This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. What's Liberty at Night, and who the heck are Nate and Charlie? That's a really great question. Charlie and I have a podcast called Good Morning Liberty, which we do every single day of the week when we want to. Hanging out right now with the Fed Haters Club, which you can join by going to joingml.com. We are extremely grateful for the opportunity to be here. We're going to be talking about so many things. Charlie and I have been friends for 20 years. Now, Charlie, you might notice he's not saying much right now. That's because he's not here. I'm recording this intro at a different time. He's currently driving back from visiting his family down in Louisiana. He's driving back up to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where we both live and record from. We moved here from Illinois, escaped the commie state of Illinois a long time ago so we could come down here and play music. Between the two of us, we've traveled and played in 15 different countries and all 50 states been all around the world pursuing that dream of playing music for quite some time. Not doing that now. Right now we're talking about liberty, libertarianism. Big L libertarianism, I guess, for Charlie, not really for me. We're kind of Ron Paul libertarians, you might say, although I hate saying that. Uh, But yeah, that's how we became libertarians in the first place. We basically believe that people own themselves. The old don't hurt people, don't take their stuff that works really well for us. We also believe that free market capitalism is the only moral and just economic system. If you agree with those things, then you're probably going to like some of the stuff we have to say. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the California Reparations Task Force and one of their recommendations, which was wiping away child support for some people in California. I'll let you guess Uh, who's going to have some child support taken away, at least the interest, if not some of the actual payments. I want to talk about the tipping culture and our our entitlement and victimhood mentality. You know that clip where the guy was mad that he got a $5 tip on the $20 pizza? Well, that's a 25% tip, and you don't get to say you want more tip because the house you went to was nicer, just like he didn't charge more for the pizza because it was nicer. We're going to talk about Megan Rapino retiring We have spent a lot of time over the last five years doing our podcast talking about equal pay for unequal work, or at least unequal results as it pertains to the uh, the income, the revenue that the U.S. women's soccer team brings in versus the men's. Uh, It's not fair at all. The women are paid way too much money. And then we'll talk about some of the Ukraine and Russia or some waste from the government, even climate change, and even a little bit of RFK Junior, If those things sound fun, then I think y'all are about to have a good time. California Reparations Task Force calls for eliminating child support debt for black residents. The California Reparations Task Force is asking the Democrat-controlled state legislature to eliminate interest, this is one part, interest on past due child support, as well as any back child support debt for black residents of the state. But wh- I know. Where is that money going? Not to mostly black mothers? <laughs> That I, I'm warning you, Charlie, don't try to make sense of this or you're going to go nuts. Okay. The group claimed that discriminatory laws have torn African-American families apart and that one effect of that is the harms caused by, quote, the disproportionate amount of African-Americans who are burdened 
with child support debt. To pay for your child? They had kids, and they're burdened with having the responsibility for their own children. <sighs> mm. Yes. nearly The nearly 1,100-page document stated that black Californians represent a larger percentage of those who owe child support debt than their proportion of the state's population, which means it must be racist. <laughs> when you look at proportionally... Mm. Uh, they also claim the 10% interest the state charges on back child support hinders their ability to finance further education, attend job training, find employment, to maintain housing. Well, that's not false, <clears throat> by the way. That's true. Owing child support, having, having an obligation to make a payment is going to hinder other things in your life. It will, yes. You know how you stop that? Either one, stop having children, mm-hmm. or two... Keep the family together. And you're going to have to, yeah, keep the family together or get a better job. Like, it, it's just, who, how is it other people's responsibility? That is the question. The report cited a 2003 California Department of Child Support Services study that estimated 27% of owed child support in the state was unpaid interest and that those who owed child support had lower incomes than the typical California worker. Now, when it comes to the interest side of this, what I wonder is, and I know, I know what the answer probably is. Does the interest go to, let's say, the father's paying child support to the mother? Does the interest go to the mother or does the interest go to the state? I think it's probably the state who regulates. Okay. Because in some states, like, child support has to pass through the state and then the okay. state issues the check. Gotcha. So of course, there's administration costs to of that. Of course, yeah. And they're not going to pay it. Now, the so. interest part is important. To me, it's important. One, it's an incentive to pay it so you don't accrue the interest. And two, the interest would be very important if it went to the mother. For instance, if the mother was owed $500 five years ago, she doesn't need to receive $500 this year. She needs to receive the interest because there has been inflation throughout that time. Mm -hmm. And $500 today is not worth as much as $500 five years ago was. And so worth the same yesterday. No. And so the interest (laughs) helps take care of that part, but likely the interest goes to the state. And so the only incentive is to try and incentivize people to pay the child support. And so getting rid of the interest part. Okay. Well, you still want to pay for the administration paying out the checks and stuff like that. If, if that is the case. Now here's the, here's the thing. They talk about the debt. They have two things, the interest. And then they also recommend that, some of the debt be forgiven, the child support debt. What does that mean? Does that mean the mothers don't get the child support? Or does it mean the state doesn't get the child support, but they still pay it out? And so the taxpayers pay the child support, meaning other people. Well, Nate, it takes a village. I guess it requires a village (laughs) in some villages. It takes a village. No, all we're doing is, like all this stuff that you see, we're just abdicating responsibility for people Mm -hmm. and the decisions that they make. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I had a child out of wedlock. His mother and I... That is impressive. (laughs) Yeah. His mother and I did not get married, and I pay child support, Mm -hmm. among a lot of other things. But I don't blame anyone else. It's not anyone else's fault that I'm in this position. I made a decision a long time ago that wasn't the, my best choice. But then, like, I now I have this, like, miracle child who's growing up, screaming in the background sometimes when I'm on calls, which is fine, but also who's just, like, joyous and fun and loving. And it's my obligation to take responsibility for the decisions that I made and also just to, like, be a decent father. 
Like mm-hmm. you, this is your all we're responsibility. Doing, we just keep, we just keep allowing people to be victims of the decisions that they make and have no responsibility in it whatsoever. Like it's very obvious that if you do a certain thing that we can't talk about on air, mm. then there's a potential for a life to be conceived. Could happen. Yeah. And then therefore you, you're responsible for that mm-hmm. life. And <clears> it's, <throat> it's like, oh man, I just can't anymore. We s- I'm at the point that I can't. Well, the thing is, what we have to do, and I was wanting to talk to you about this yesterday some, is we can't focus on changing what these people believe. All we can do is talk to people who are willing to listen, who share some of the same beliefs that we do. And all we can do is change how we react to these people and how and how much we allow them to pull these things over on us and steal from us and keep and keep subsidizing bad decisions and taxing good ones. We can't fix those people. Maybe they can be fixed over time. But all we can do is talk to these people that are listening on the podcast, and we can all decide how we are going to react to and interact with these people uh, and live our lives in the way that's going to set up the right incentive structure, the only incentive structure for those people to have to be better. Or... (laughs) You know what? <laughs> I don't know if I can get behind that. Yeah, I know. But I was just, that was a test. I think Bailey brought up a good point, <clears throat> and I, like, I might say something that might sting Nate here, but, <clears throat> but I think this is something that Jordan Peterson talked about not that long ago, which is people, it's almost nearly impossible to grow up as, a, as an adult, as a person, until you have children. And that's how important it is. Now, some people can do it, but it's extremely difficult. And what Bailey says here is one of the reasons why, and I honestly think it's one of the reasons we see that this rise of like entitlement or, or narcissistic tendencies, whatever you want to talk about. It's because Bailey says here, it's almost like we shouldn't view kids as burdens and just grow up and realize that you are no longer the center of your universe. Mm. And what Jordan Peterson <clears throat> talked about in the video is that until you have something that you care more about than yourself – Right, which is what children do to you. You, it's like that something happens, and as soon as you see them for the first time, you're like, "I would die for that kid." Mm-hmm. You know? Now you can get there without having kids, and some people can't have kids, and they can still grow up and be great adults. But I think a lot of people struggle with not realizing that they're no longer this, like they're the center of their universe, right? Until they have something that they're willing to to grow up for, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw this in my own life. Somebody who abdicated responsibility and didn't grow up until never hundred I mean, hours still struggles, but at least after 40, Oh, grew up a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know who you were talking about in my own life. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Different narcissist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. My bad. Thought that was going to be a TBD type situation. Well, I mean, there's <laughs> others, but I think, <laughs> I think that's also this whole problem around like this entitlement, what we talked about with that DoorDash video, all of this other stuff, like these people mm-hmm. that are that are entitled, are, I think our culture, the birth rate is at an all time low. You have fewer and fewer parents who know, who don't understand what it's like to have the responsibility of something that you care more about than yourself. Well, the problem is even the people who do have those kids, we've 
told them that it's not their responsibility and they accept that. So they never actually have to change the way that people do when they have parents. And so then you just, they become victims of the fact that they are a parent and it becomes everyone else's responsibility to, to take care of this situation that they've been put in by society, probably because of the Supreme court, getting rid of Roe v. Wade or something like that. Yeah. But it's so, also, <clears throat> well, like I said, you can still have kids and then choose to be absent Mm -hmm. And then therefore you're still pushing off your responsibility. Yeah. Most of the time mothers can't do that. Although some do, right? Yeah. Like, especially those that are like addiction. If you just look at the, the stats, like when you have something in life that you're choosing over like what the most important thing should be, right? Like you're abdicating that responsibility. You still haven't grown up. You still have to decide like, okay, I now have something that is, worth more to me than my own personal endeavors. And it's not that your personal endeavors aren't important, right? But now on the list, the hierarchy list, there, there's someone that's further up now and that they have to become more important than your own self. And that, that forces you to take responsibility and forces you to grow up and forces you to be a kind person <clears throat> for the most part. Yeah. But in all of this, Charlie, you're forgetting Slavery. Yeah, of course I am. <laughs> Charlie, did you have an interaction with a DoorDash driver one time? I Was did. that right? How did that go? Mm. What happened? It didn't go well. Did he get mad at you about a tip or something? Sure did, yes. Did you at least leave a bad review or something like that? I think I reported him, yeah, because I was, I was pretty frustrated. It's too bad you didn't have your doorbell I didn't, camera on I didn't at that at time. time i wanted to talk about this earlier in the week it's a ridiculous story but to me it's we've been talking a lot about how victimhood and entitlement are what's actually destroying uh, the country this entitlement mentality and and people are becoming entitled to to tips and they especially feel like they're entitled to things from people who have more than they do because they're envious and this tipping thing was a really great example of that because the guy says you've got a nice house and you only gave me a $5 tip as if it were someone in a lesser house then his service was only worth $5. But if it's someone in a nicer house, his service was worth way more than that. That's mm -hmm. not how that works at all. They didn't charge him more for the pizza because the person had a different house <laughs> than someone else who lived in the trailer park. Pizza costs the same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll watch the video. It's a little bit too infuriating for, for me so I actually... Can I tell a personal story afterwards? I was trying to get you to tell the personal oh, you story. You want me to tell it before the video? Yeah. Well, or we can tell it afterwards. We'll play oh, yeah, the video. People don't know what this is yeah, about. Yeah, I, I was trying to, to to get you to talk about it. Hi. Hello. Come here, Max. 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 Yep. There you go. Thank you. I just want to say it's a nice house for a five dollar tip. You're welcome. A little similar, except I, I went, I clapped back. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, look, I, uh, I tip ten dollars. I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but I realize that my house is not close, and I used to be in the service industry. Okay, so I understand what it's like to work for tips, and so I'm, I approach things a little bit differently. And then you and I were hanging out, ordered a pizza, cost 20 bucks, and I left him $10, which is a 50% tip, by the way. You left $10? Yeah, $10. <laughs> I 
And of course, I watched the guy on the app take the like the back way. There's a lot. There's a much easier way to my house from the city that and it's about 15 minute drive. I get mm-hmm. it. It kind of sucks, but he took like the windy roads to my house and he could have taken the interstate and it would have been much easier. And, uh, anyway, he was nice at first, just like that. And I was like, Oh, thank you. And he's like, basically, by the way, his license plate was like from Pennsylvania. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, you're only going to give me $10 for driving all the way out here. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? And he was like, basically F you. Mm-hmm. and F that. And so I was like, F me, F you. It's not F me. It's F you buddy. And a neighbor <laughs> across the street was in his backyard, like peeked around the corner of his house. It was like, what just happened? And I was like, I have like, what just happened? This guy just went off on me because I gave him extra money. A $10 tip for delivering yeah. 20 bucks worth of pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, he's already making money per hour or per mm. mileage or whatever DoorDash pays you. They don't work just off tips. It was insane. It was insane. Absolutely insane. I can't. But I he's, get, from the, he's from the Northeast, so it makes sense. You okay. know what's what's weird is this is actually the most frustrated I've been so far during the show. <laughs> really? Because these are just your, it's not, we're talking not talking about these elites on MSNBC, these people running the world. These are your normal, average, everyday people. And I like to believe that your normal people aren't quite as crazy as what you see all over the place. but. This is a symptom of a bigger problem. This dude didn't have to even get a tip. Like when you decide to deliver things, you decide to deliver it for the price that the company pays you to deliver that item. And it's judged by the the uh, the distance and the time that it takes you to deliver the item. And a tip is great if someone wants to give you a tip. That's cool. I did also being in the service industry, you can be frustrated about your tip. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I, plenty of times in my serving career, I was frustrated, but frustrated by either no tip or a small tip when I felt like I did a really good job. Yeah, especially on okay? Sundays. Especially on Sundays. Yes, the the crowd that turns over their wine glass. Whoever shows up on Sundays roughly after noon are the worst people to take care of. They are. And if you're one of those people listening, that's your job. To try and be better. Be better than that. Be, be actually an example of But Jesus. all the people that I ever worked with know clear and well that working Sunday afternoon is the worst day yeah. because they are the worst people. But what you never do is say F you to the customer. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that, like, that's the difference. See, this is what I explained to my six-year-old. Like, <clears throat> feelings are valid, but behavior is not. You have to... You have to be able to emotionally regu- regulate yourself and not not to be an asshole to a stranger. <laughs> like maybe they don't know any better. How do you know? Like it or when I was younger, I used to you think- could just be appreciative of what you got, and you could still be frustrated and tell your friends like, "Man, they had a super nice house. And they only gave me five bucks. Like what the hell?" And then your friend could be like, "Oh yeah, that sucks." Maybe next time. I to- I didn't know about the percentage rule until I started waiting tables and not even at the first place I waited tables. It was at uh, red lobster. I think was like the first actual restaurant. Red well, okay. lobster. That's n- that not it. It's close I thought, though. I thought that was red Robin does sound good right now. <laughs> now that you sing that. Hmm. I don't like red Robin. You get an egg mm. on my burger, man. I love it. You can put an egg on your own burger. I want a red Robin egg on my red Robin <laughs> burger. Okay. Oh. Okay. Anyway, I didn't know that there was a percentage rule. 
I just thought that I just thought that you tipped based on like how many people were there. So it was like, I literally used maybe this is embarrassing. It was like if I was at a cheap place, I was like, well, a dollar a person, that's your tip. <laughs> and if I was a nice place, I'm like, oh, like five dollars a person, that's yeah. what you tip. But it was based on like how nice the place looked, how many, how much you would tip per person that was there. Literally, never thought about looking you do like at a, a bill at all. Order per item that they bring to your table. <laughs> <laughs> Did you Thank ever you. had the person who Thank put... Thank you for this fork. Here's a quarter. Did you ever had the person who put the $20 bill out and they said that this is where it's starting and they can either... It can go down or oh, yeah. it can go up from here? Mm. Lacey had those people. Like, they would put it on the table and they'd say, this is where it's starting and it's either going to go down or go up from and here. And they order $500 yeah. worth of food. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, this guy did get fired, by the way. He got kicked off. I guess he was using DoorDash. He got kicked off and he got flagged. Uh, so justice was served i guess it's just it's concerning to me you've had this experience Mm i i would have never thought about i was happy anytime i got a tip when i was doing uber eats deliveries it's not every time that you get a tip on something it's like half the time you get a tip on something and then you get mad about a tip I think what you're saying, the the root, the <clears throat> deeper problem that we're having in America is all this emotional dysregulation. <laughs> yeah. That's really what it is. It's true. I mean, to like not treat people respectfully because they do something either to you or, or you perceive it as it's against you or whatever the case may be. Like we, we used to be, we used to grow up with values in America, mm-hmm. something called honor and mm. respect mm. and character and, and moral culpability. Like you, like you being a good person mattered. Yeah. And now it's, you don't see that as often. There are still good people out there, There are, but you don't see that as often. And you just, people just, they just emotionally vomit all over you. And it's your fault. This guy's walking around being a victim. Okay. He's, he's upset about what the world has done to him. And he sees this person Mm -hmm. in a nice house. He hates his job. He hates his life. He hates his wife. He hates his kids. Okay. And he just got, he thought that he was entitled to more money from this person who was in this nice house. And that's a really great way to boil down what's going wrong, going wrong in America right now. Okay. When we come back, we're going to talk about Megan Rapino retiring. So hold on. We'll be right back after the break. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Unfortunately, due to government meddling, the company that partnered with Dash to offer Dash Direct is leaving the crypto business. However, they weren't the only provider of discounted gift cards for Dash. BitRefill.com has been accepting Dash for years and has a ton of big-name retailers and brands, including grocers, gas stations, phone refills, Amazon, and even prepaid MasterCards. You could actually live off your Dash using bitrefill.com. Plus, many of their gift cards come with a discount. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Free Talk Live. 
Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back. This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network, hanging out here with the Fed Haters Club. You can join that by going to joingml.com and talk with us live while we are recording the show. Coming up, we're going to talk about Megan Rapino retiring. We're going to talk about the labor theory of value. But first, I wanted to make fun of this poor, poor former State Department employee who's out here giving a press conference. I, he's not a former State Department employee yet, but he was talking about the Ukraine war and the state of the war. A little bit of a Freudian slip happening, I believe, is what they like to call it. A, a few things. So I will say, uh, with respect to your first question, we believe the war has been a strategic failure for Ukraine. Uh, the secretary spoke to this in a speech he gave in Helsinki uh, last month, I believe it was. Uh, what's that? I'm sorry. A strate- excuse me. A strategic failure for for Ukraine. Uh, thank you for the correction. Um, uh, which is oh, I, I, I need more than one cor- correction today. A strategic. This is the first time at the podium for for a week. I'm a little. Ru- I'm apparently a little rusty. <laughs> Calm there on Twitter uh, that said this is what happens when you hear behind closed doors how bad the U.S. proxy war is going in Ukraine. I think it's definitely what's happening. They know that this is a massive failure for Ukraine. This is a massive failure for all of the taxpayer dollars that we have given to Ukraine, of which a lot of that, I'm sure, has just been doled out to whoever was the most politically connected. This is going to be a failure for them, for it to be a success. They can keep it going as a forever war for a long time because you get to uh, line a lot of people's pockets when that's going on and, and keep people talking about something uh, over there while they're doing stuff over here. Yes, uh, strategic failure for Ukraine. Oops, I meant it's a strategic failure for Ukraine. Uh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. I think the next thing, before I get on to the, I'll skip over to the Megan Rapino thing right now. Rapino, Rapino, I don't know. Maybe I heard someone from down in Louisiana talking about it. I'm not sure. We have been talking about Megan Rapino since the beginning of this podcast because she's been annoying for that long and even longer. I hadn't hadn't heard of her until we started doing the show, but apparently she was annoying before that too. She has long been crusading for equal pay for the women's soccer team, regardless of how much money they bring in regardless of how many less people watch their games, doesn't matter. There is a pay disparity between the women's team and the men's team, and that is just because of gender pay inequality. It can't be the fact that they bring in so much less money. And in fact, we've talked about this so many times that I'll be able to put together a nice little clip segment and just make this an entire episode or an entire segment of an episode if I wanted to. In fact, here's a clip of Charlie and I talking about the income and pay discrepancies or disparities between the U.S. women's and men's soccer teams. On to the women's soccer pay gap saga, which has finally been fixed. There won't be any more issues from the WAPO. U.S. women's and men's national soccer teams close the pay gap with a game-changing deal. That's a nice. That's a nice. Look, can right I there. guess before we even read this? What is it? Their deal is similar to the men's teams now. That's part of it. Okay, it's worse than that, though. <laughs> it is. It's okay. worse. All right. Yes. The U.S. men's and women's national soccer team struck a labor deal that closes the contentious pay gap between the squads, an unprecedented step that will equalize both salaries and bonuses, providing a substantial boost to the decorated women's team. The U.S. the USSF, that's the Soccer Federation, I assume, yep. said the agreement makes the U.S. 
the first country to achieve equal pay for its men's and women's teams. Now, how are they achieving this equal pay? FIFA is going to they're going to agree to pay out the exact same amount to both teams, right? That's how they achieve the equal pay. The U.S. teams will pull together the World Cup bonuses received from FIFA, the, the sports global governing body, and split them equally, evening out a substantially unequal playing field. So now the, the USSF is going to become essentially a, uh, a, a government that is going to take in all of the income received from both, and then they're going to distribute it equally between the two teams they'll have to take an administrative fee yeah <laughs> i'm sure, sure they will Gets their equal pay so it, even if the the men's payout is uh 50 million dollars and the women's is five million dollars then there's 55 million dollars to split between the two teams even if almost all of it came from the men so that's awesome until now the u.s men have earned much larger world cup bonuses than the four-time champion women even in years when, the, by the way, the men will still be earning a much larger World Cup bonus. They're just going to be taking most of it and giving it to the women. Exactly. Okay, just to, just to remember that. Even in years when the men didn't advance out of the tournament's group stage, FIFA pays much larger sums to men's teams, citing the fact that the men's tournament generates substantially more revenue. <laughs> What a crazy idea. That's weird. FIFA pays much more, and they cite the fact that the men's tournament generates substantially more revenue, and that is the only time and that they talk about it. By this entire substantially more, article. we've gone over this. Yeah. It's it a is ridiculous amount more. An insane amount more money. You're and talking about... That derives from people who watch soccer. We'll just do general, just general numbers here, give or take $100 million or so, but you're talking in, in total money that comes into FIFA... You're talking about like four hundred million for the women's and six billion for the men's that comes in. That's what they mean by substantially more revenue. <laughs> and everyone's upset that the men get paid more. Which is almost twenty times more <laughs> than what the women bring in. FIFA will continue to pay out more to federations for participation in the men's tournament, but under the new rule, the USSF will no longer pass along tournament specific bonuses to each squad. In agreeing to the CBA, the U.S. men are making a substantial concession. They will take home less money in World Cup bonuses than they would have previously, especially if they advance deep into the tournament. The women probably will receive much higher bonuses. You say? Every time. You don't say. Every time. Yeah, literally. All the time. The USSF, which had been under the substantial public and legal pressure, said it would not agree to a deal with the men that did not equalize the World Cup bonuses they didn't equalize the World Cup bonuses. They're just going to be obtaining the ownership of those bonuses and paying them out equally. The winner of this year's World Cup in Qatar will receive $42 million of FIFA's $440 million total prize money if it advances to the round of 16. The U.S. men's team will receive $13 million if they if they advance to the 16th. That's more than three times what the U.S. women received for winning the tournament in 2019 when they reaped $4 million of the $30 million in overall prize money. Once again, $440 million total for the men, $30 million for the women. And actually, like we made the case several times before, the women prize pool is a larger portion of the total amount of money that FIFA receives than the men's prize pool is. Mm. The men actually needed to be getting paid more. The winner's share of the women's event next year in Australia and New Zealand has not been finalized, but the overall prize money is proposed at $60 million. 
It should collectively be pushing FIFA to equalize working conditions and prize money for the two World Cups. It's amazing that what the men have done, it's appreciated, but we should be pushing FIFA. <laughs> oh. It's not based on the amount of money that they're taking in. That's mm. not what it is. You need to pay out based on equity, essentially. Not based on performance or the revenue that you generate mm. as a team. No, they're doing the same job, Nate. Besides... <laughs> they run the same speeds. They do the same flips. They have the same kicks. Mm-hmm. They save the same goals. It's... It's the same job. The exact same thing. Mm. Besides the World Cup money, the agreements will end guaranteed salaries for the women's players and instead pay them at the same rates as the men for achievements such as roster selection and team performance. The men were not paid a salary by the USSF, an issue that complicated the women's argument for equal pay. Because they got a guaranteed salary as part of their collective bargaining agreement. So they that issue, the fact that the men didn't have a salary, somewhat complicated the argument for the, for the mm. equal pay, I would say. For similar non-World Cup turn, tournaments, players on both teams will earn uh, equal amounts of total prize money. The teams will also equally share a portion of the USF's broadcast so the money that they bring in from that, even though way more people will be watching the men, partner and sponsorship revenue and receive a share of the revenue from tickets sold at USSF organized home matches. Both teams will receive bonuses for games that are sold out. The settlement was effectively an admission that the USSF had not paid the women's team equally. What does that mean? Of course they're not paying. They don't receive equal amounts. Yes, that is true. They're not bringing in the same amount of money. Notice they said equally and not fairly. They can't use the word fairly because fair would be determined based on the amount of money that's coming in from each team. So they use the word equally. Yes, they received unequal amounts of money. That's right. The women had sought $66 million in back pay, but suffered a major setback in 2020 when a district judge ruled that they had agreed to a different pay structure than the men's team. And in fact, they earned more money overall than the men in 2020. <laughs> All these weird setbacks in their arguments yeah. that they went through. They, they, you agreed to a different pay structure. <laughs> the USSF argued that paying the same bonuses to the women for winning the World Cup that they had promised to the men would bankrupt the Chicago-based nonprofit. But the women said the Federation was obligated to pay them equally regardless of FIFA's bonus structure. <laughs> So they argue that USSF should just pay out the same amount that the men were receiving. And the USSF said, that will literally bankrupt us because you're talking about money that doesn't exist right now. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, why don't you just have the Fed print it? That's fine. And now they're obligated to pay them equally regardless of the money that's coming Mm -hmm. in. It's it's equal, Nate. It's fair. Zimmerman, who they had quoted earlier, said he believes the deal will create a bond between the teams which have largely operated independently of each other for decades. Mm. How's it going to create a bomb? It's, well, I think it's weird that it's 2022 and we've separated soccer persons mm-hmm. into two different things based on um, a social construct of gender. Yeah, you're, you're right about These that. These are just soccer persons. We should just not there. look at the gender at all and just let the best players make the team because none of their their genders are just words that are attached. We should just have one so, U.S. team mm-hmm. and that they play all the matches. Yeah. Uh, quote, we're rooting so hard for them and they're rooting so hard for us. 
It hasn't been like that in the past. We're excited for the partnership. It really does feel like a sense of togetherness, which will also translate off the field with the camaraderie and sheer passion for the game and growing the sport here. Yes, they have tied each other to each other's earnings, so now they have a sense of togetherness. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, they are I tell you what, the people rooting hardest for the men's team this year will be the US women's team for sure because they get to take a bu- most of their money that comes in regardless of of what they do or how much money they bring in. <laughs> this is compl- this is re- but you know what, hey, let them and Let them do this, also whatever. They, they agree to it. Yeah. Looks like the men's team agreed to it. They Let signed, them do it. They signed the CBA. So, you know, if you want to contractually do that, that's fine. If All in the name of woke divism. Oh, man. All right. Now let's get to today's news regarding Megan Rapino. Sadly, sadly, she has announced that she's retiring at the end of this season. I know. I know. We're all very, very sad about this fact. I'm actually kind of sad about it because it means she's going to have more time to say dumb stuff. Now, I don't know if that's going to be countered by the fact that she'll be less relevant as she won't be playing. I'm a little worried that she's going to be out there just giving speeches more. And it kind of scares me. I kind of wish she would keep being worse than men at Sagar for the rest of her life if she could. But anyway, from CNN.com, Megan Rapinoe, Rapinoe says the U.S. has weaponized women's sports against trans people, and they're trying to legislate away people's full humanity. From CNN, be it the issues of LGBTQ plus rights or equal pay, the U.S. women's national team star Megan Rapinoe has never been afraid of standing up for what she believes in, no matter how dumb it is. I added some of that. And now on the eve of her final Women's World Cup, Rapino has taken aim at recent policies that aim to ban transgender women from competing in women's sports. Quote, we as a country are trying to legislate away people's full humanity. Another quote, it's particularly frustrating when women's sports is weaponized. Oh, now we care about fairness? Now we care about women's sports? That's total BS, she says. All right. So we've talked about this argument. I can't remember who it was that made it. Maybe it was Corey Bush, I believe, that made this argument, and it was in one of our dumb bleeps. But you can't talk about fairness in women's sports if you don't care about equal pay in women's sports. And, of course, what equal pay means is that you get to make way more money than you're actually earning through ticket sales and through advertising dollars, and that's what equal pay is even if you're earning way less money. Uh, So you can't talk about fairness. You can't say that it's not fair for a man to go play against women when you don't care about equal pay, right? Because those are the same thing. Well, they're actually not the same thing, and that has nothing to do with fairness. In fact, fairness is the women getting paid what they have earned through their ticket sales and through their advertising dollars and through the contracts that they have created. That is fairness. Unfairness would be paying them more than what they're actually worth or allowing men who are physically dominant and superior to them to come and play against them. That is actually not fair either. In what way is taking more money than you have earned deemed to be fairness these days? 
Uh, it's not. And so, Megan, good riddance to you. Uh, she also says, by the way, that she she doesn't care if men come and play soccer against the women. Doesn't care. Of course, now that she's retiring, uh, she's not going to have to worry about it. By the way, if men were just playing women's soccer, there's a good chance she wouldn't even have a job because even if she is one of the better players or used to be, I don't really know how good she is. She's good at talking so, and having different colored friend hair. Cap Trucker posted um, communism and socialism are in she effect wouldn't theft of the fruit of the one's labor. Just that makes them by default slavery and therefore morally abhorrent. As good as any of them. Correct. That's just a fact of life. Correct. I'm sorry about that. You cannot make a moral argument for stealing the fruits of people's labor and giving it to other people. You just can't. It's not moral. We're going to take the moral high ground here. Now, this person, this commie says, ANCAP's literally just repurposing anti-capitalist, anti-capitalist critiques of capitalism, zero self-awareness. ANCAP trucker says that I'm right. This guy says, no, you're not. The only reason, here's the important part, the only reason business owners make profit is through the theft of excess labor value of their employees. That is the economic reality we live in. Well, that's not true. Because excess labor value of their employees is false. That is not a thing that exists. That could only exist if you think that the capitalist or the business owner brought no value to the table. There was a photo going around, and uh, it might actually still be in the show notes here. Let me, let me look and see. I, I wanted to talk about it for a while. Give me a second here, guys. Let me see if it's still hanging out in the show notes. Do, do, do. Yep, it is. How about that? Here's a great example. Okay. I don't know what these pieces are. I don't know what these little plastic pieces are. If someone in the group knows what these little plastic pieces are, you can tell me. Uh, they're just little round plastic pieces, and I guess that's not super important for what this meme is showing. Um, this person says, I have to work an hour before I can afford to buy three of these. And then they say, I make 3,000 of them every hour. So this person makes 3,000 of them every hour, and after that hour, they can only afford to buy three of them. And the caption on here says, this is unironically one of the most concise and easy-to-understand explanations of profit and labor I have ever seen. So, it, once again, I become, I'm very envious of people who see things like this, and then they think that the whole world has just been explained to them, and that things are actually this simple and easy to understand. Uh, they're not. They're easy if you're this simple-minded or if you just haven't had your mind opened up to uh, the rest of the story. Whatever this thing is, for the purposes of talking about this on the podcast, so I don't have to just keep saying whatever this just whatever this is, I know that they're, that they're not carabiners, but I'm just going to call it a carabiner because when I first saw the photo, I was like, oh, is that a carabiner? And I was like, oh, no, that's not what that is. I'm going to call it that for fun for the purposes of talking on the podcast to people who aren't going to see what's actually in the photo for anyone who's actually watching the video. If you're talking about a little carabiner right here and this person making 3,000 of them every hour, did this guy make 3,000 of them? What about this gigantic building that he's standing in right now? 
I mean, this is a big warehouse building that he is in currently. There's tons of machinery that's helping this guy make three. I I doubt he's sitting there whittling out of a piece of plastic 3,000 of these things every hour. Okay, there's machines inside this building that are actually doing this. He probably moves one thing from one table to another, and that's fine. Okay, that's, that's totally fine. What about all the materials that go into making that thing, that he's making 3,000 of them every single hour? Are they plastic? Are they metal? How did they get those materials? What resources did they have to mine or create in a lab uh, to create these materials and, and make the molds for these things? And uh, for this guy to say that he makes 3,000 of them every hour, how did those materials get there? Did, did he go out there into the forest and find the materials for them and, and, and melt them down, mix things together, come up with the compound formulation for it uh, to put all this stuff together? And then did he get all of it and drive all of it to the, to the warehouse that he built with his own hands out of other materials that he went out into nature and created so he could build this warehouse where he could make 3,000 of these things every hour? No. He walked in. He hit a button. He clocked in. Punched a time card, whatever it was. <laughs> Jeff said his women co-workers can only buy two. And so he's, he doesn't know how lucky he is, honestly. He walked into the place. He clocked in. And he started hitting a button there. He started moving a tray around or something like that. And that's him making 3,000 of those every hour. But what about all the other stuff that went into it? It's not like the business owner is keeping the money from the other 2,700. There's a shipping cost. There's material costs. The electricity costs of this gigantic building. The building has costs. They probably haven't paid for it yet. There's tons of other workers. They got to pay the government a bunch of money. Okay. So no, he didn't make 3,000 of them. The capital that the business owner put in has value. You know how you know that capital has a lot of value? You go to places where they have plenty of workers and no capital. Like countries in Africa. Just say, I'll pull a random one. I don't know what state that they're in right now, but um, Nigeria. Plenty of workers, not enough capital. Are all the workers doing fine, keeping all of their the value of their labor and keeping all of the fruits of their labor? There's not enough labor to go around because there hasn't been enough capital brought into the country or risked in that country to put all of that labor to use. It's just a bunch of people who know how to labor. And so when you say that this labor has been stolen from the employee, that anything charged above what the employee got paid is a stolen part of their wages, you are denying the fact that capital has a value and that all of those things we mentioned that went into making this have value in this equation. It's not just you standing there hitting buttons or moving a tray around or whatever it is that you're doing. That's not the only value that goes into making this product. All of the other things had to happen for you to be able to do that. And all those things had to be created before you could come in and do that. People like to say, well, if I wasn't here hitting these buttons and moving this tray around, well, the, the business owner wouldn't make any money. That's true. You got to have people to come in and do that. But before you could come in and do that, 
all of those other things had to happen. And people completely ignore it. They choose to ignore it or they're just ignorant or they're so upset and they're so envious. They're so mad that people have more than they do. They're so victimized and they're so entitled that it never crosses their mind. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about the U.S. breaking its own rules to send more weapons over the Ukraine and then following our rules and wasting your money all the time and how we can fight against these. Then we'll talk climate change, RFK, all that right back after the break. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. Okay, we are back. Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. This hour is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multiple crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. And a big thanks to Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash dash.org. Number two, this is a weird one because I remember watching the news about this whole Russia-Ukraine war. You know, this Russia, they attacked Ukraine. They're in Mm. there doing bad things. Well, I heard from way back in the day when this first started that one of the terrible things that was making them war criminals was that they were using what are called cluster bombs. These are known to have a lot of civilian casualties. All right. One of the reasons is that they they tend to have a lot of duds, meaning they don't go off. And one reason you don't want that is because eventually someone could walk up on it. And it could go off. And it could go off. And so there are legal limits. I've always thought that was weird. Mm-hmm. Like, to have legal frameworks for war. I've always thought that... The, That's pretty strange. These are weird ideas. War crimes is a weird thing to me. It seems like the entire thing would be a crime, but we set... It's a different le- justice system, I guess. 
as long as as you fight with honor for warring yeah you know but anyway the uh, u.s it looks like they're going to be giving cluster bombs to ukraine so they can use them against russia in ukraine just not going to be great for ukrainian citizens it was bad when russia was using them okay for ukraine to use them and also it's totally illegal for us to give them to ukraine for them to use and we're going to do it i'm telling you what the Zelensky has got Biden's old crust in a vice. He's got all the tapes and he's got all the receipts. I'm just telling you. He can do whatever he wants. It's the only thing that explains the money and just the blatant breaking of rules all the time. Charles, there's a few things President here. Biden has approved the provision of U.S. cluster munitions with drawdown of the weapons from Defense Department stocks due to be announced Friday. The move, which will bypass U.S. law prohibiting the production, use, or transfer of cluster munitions with a failure rate of more than 1%, comes amid concerns about Kyiv's lagging counteroffense against entrenched Russian troops. They just bypass them. In its last publicly available estimate more than 20 years ago, the Pentagon assessed that artillery shell to have a dud rate of 6%, meaning that at least four of each of the 72 submunitions each shell carries would remain unexploded across an area of approximately 22,500 square meters, roughly the size of four and a half football fields. Yeah. Next part is important because they've got new assessments saying that the dead rate is lower. Now they found on these old, they found on these old munitions that they haven't made a long time, but they found some new tests mm-hmm. that say the dead rates lower, although it still exceeds the limit. The Pentagon now says it has new assessments based on testing as recent as 2020 with failure rates no higher than 2.35%. There is no waiver provision in the 1% limit Congress has placed on cluster munition dud rates written into Defense Department appropriations for the last seven years. Biden would bypass it in Congress, according to a White House official, drawing down the munitions from existing defense stocks under a rarely used provision of the Foreign Assistance Act, which allows the president to provide aid regardless of appropriations or arms export restrictions, as long as he determines that it is in the vital U.S. national security interest. He just has to say, it's vital to U.S. national security interest. He can bypass everything as long as giving these to Ukraine is vital to our national security. Which, of course, it is. Very much so. Because... I I think it's vital to Biden's security interests which would if biden falls we all fall okay and we've all fallen a bunch of times upstairs yeah you know or off bicycles yeah one quote here from someone who they say more than 120 countries have joined the convention banning their use as inhumane and indiscriminate like i said when the war first started there are like these reports that russia was maybe using these cluster munitions it was a big deal people were talking about it and it war crimes and breaking rules and all that. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to give it to Ukraine. That's fine. We're going to do the same thing. What? You hate democracy? Mm -hmm. Fascist? Come on. We got to save the Nazis. This person says it's dismaying to see the long-established 1% unexploded ordinance standard for the cluster munitions roll back, as this will result in more duds, which means even greater threat to civilians, including D-miners. The lack of transparency on how this number was reached is disappointing and seems unprecedented. They can't, they can't release it. It's, this, yeah, you have to have a security well, look, clearance. There's a test right here. We just found it. It's got a lower, it's got a lower number now. All of a sudden, because they need it. I wanted to talk about this ridiculous thing. This was actually going to be the main topic because I like economics and government waste. And so this actually is a piece here from the Wapo. Charles, if you want to start, but yeah. we're we're about to get internets all over mm. the country now. 
I got a personal stake in this because my family, who lives in what would be classified as out in the middle of nowhere, did not get high-speed internet until they went from, they had a Verizon hotspot for a bit, but it had a limit on it, like no streaming platforms at the house or whatever. That that just wasn't a thing. They didn't get internet they until, Netflix and chill. <clears throat> I don't know, maybe a year ago, Tops is is when they got it. And they got it. They got Starlink. That's that's how they got internet. Mm. And so I understand what it is like to for people that are out there in these areas where there are no internet options. I don't get it. You wouldn't. You wouldn't understand. You no. grew up rich, white, privileged. <laughs> always had all of the things. Yeah. You've got like 150 gig speed internet over here. You know. Mm-hmm. So we yep. our voices get there before we even say it that's when we're right. talking to people. Well, President Biden on Monday announced more than $42 billion in new federal funding to expand high-speed Internet access nationwide, commencing the largest ever campaign to help an estimated 8.5 million families and small businesses finally take advantage of modern-day connectivity. Mm. The money, which the government plans to parcel out to states over the next two years, is the centerpiece of a vast and ambitious effort to deliver reliable broadband to the entire country by 2030 ensuring that even the most far-flung parts of the United States can reap the economic benefits of the digital age. Now, this is a big, just to clarify, we're not like anti-internet for people. We're not saying it's a dumb thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, internet's a good thing. There are a lot of great jobs. In fact, some of the best, the most high-paying jobs are work-from-home type jobs. That's something that a lot of people around the country don't have any access to. Now, they could move to a place to be able to have that job if they wanted to, or the internet's going to help. And they haven't been able to get as misinformed as other people, and now it's going to be easier for them to get misinformed <laughs> right. on things. And they haven't been woke preached to by Netflix enough, and so they're going to be able to get that too. How many, or how much of that $42 billion do you think will actually go to expanding broadband access? And is it only going to cost $42 billion? It will not only cost $42 billion, even the expansions, which we'll go through here in a minute, the expansions that the internet companies already did in 2020 totaled $86 billion Mm. for them expanding their lines because we went into pandemic type situation. And so for the government to say that they're going to fully cover the rest of the country with $42 billion, it's, I bet it gets a quarter, potentially. And even at that price, Charles, that's $5,000 per family to connect them to the internet. Mm. Uh, not yeah. even counting what the monthly bills and all that are going to be. T-Dub so, says, well, first take 10% of that for the big yeah, guy. Yeah, that's, that's one of the issues. You've always got big guy taking that money out. That's right. Even in a time of self-driving cars, commercial spaceflight, and artificial intelligence, roughly 7% of the United States still does not have broadband service that meets the government's minimum standards, according to new federal estimates. It's the biggest investment in high-speed internet ever, because for today's economy to work for everyone, internet access is just as important as electricity or water or other basic services. You... <clears throat> It's. I, I think Maslow talked about this on his hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, now, food, <laughs> water, shelter, broadband. Broadband. You have to have access, and it's got to meet the minimum standards. Like uh, it's got to be twenty five down, three up. Well, that was an asterisk. I didn't feel yeah. the need to. You got to have you know. that. Mm-hmm. It's not as important as water. 
can we just no it's not as important as water do you think flint has broadband (laughs) but not water still (laughs) can we do broadband instead of water like i don't like water all that much does flint have water yet i mean do we know the correct answer is who cares okay apparently well as long as they get internet the president's announcement marks only the beginning of a long and difficult journey, which will largely, which will largely, will see states chart a course for how and where to deploy new speedy internet. That must have been a direct quote. <laughs> and the success or failure of Biden's new campaign hinges on factors that have bedeviled his predecessors, including the steep price tag and complicated nature of a broadband build-out, as well as lingering gaps in the government's understanding of who needs connectivity <laughs> even in the so like, we article don't, we don't even know what we're doing <laughs> yeah. but we're going to announce it we don't and. even fully understand where this needs to go <laughs> it's really hard to and gauge see, this because is, this is the problem with the government trying to solve problems okay yeah. because they don't even know where the problems are but they're just going to fork <laughs> over your money and tell you that they're going to virtuously solve this problem for these people these poor people who don't have broadband other than working from home everyone almost everyone has got a cell phone that's going to have the speed that they're talking about and we're not even getting into what the real solution to this problem would be if you wanted to solve it but and in 20 years are we even going to need to lay internet lines no we don't need to do it now (laughs) by the time they finish this it's going to be obsolete they probably haven't finished installing fax machines in everyone's buildings yet (laughs) still they're still working on fax machines i still haven't received my government approved beeper i know know? it'll take forever on those things can't get a sig in here (laughs) you know for decades the u.s government has spent billions of dollars annually to deploy speedy internet service nationwide only to struggle to ensure those sums those sums benefit the communities that need it most the federal campaign took on new energy and importance during the coronavirus pandemic which demonstrated how the internet had become essential for daily life. Remember this virus that shut everything down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The internet was essential when the government locks you down. And now I wonder, like, oh, maybe they're building the internet lines for future harder lockdowns mm-hmm. right now. In some of these places, like what I was talking about where my family's from, where kids were trying to, during the pandemic, where they were trying to learn from home, do schooling from home, in areas like where my family's from, you literally, you can't do that. They can't learn from home. They don't have internet. So what, there's no, then there's not a library for them to go to or a McDonald's for them to go to. And so they couldn't fully lock everyone down. Or if they did, they got a lot of learning loss with these kids, which I doubt they worry about that. Just listen to these names, by the way. So the investments include $42.5 billion for the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, known as BEAD. BEAD. Which Congress enacted as part of a sprawling 2021 law to improve the nation's <clears throat> infrastructure. Mark Vasconi. The director and the top of the top broadband office in Washington State. What a job. Mm-hmm. You know? Hey, what do you do? Well, I'm the director. He's not even that one of the lower broadband offices. Mm-hmm. He's, He's at the top. Top broadband office. Mm-hmm. He said there's 239,000 locations in his state that still don't have service. Well, yeah. Most people don't live on top of mountains, Mark. <laughs> To deliver quality fiber internet everywhere, Vasconi predicted could cost as much as $3 billion, more than the $1.2 billion the state ultimately received Monday, but he said in advance of the award that the, remi- the remainder could be covered by state and private investment. So Nate did the math for everyone. 
That's $12,500 per location mm. that gets internet. 12500 And here's the main problem. The very first thing that popped up in my mind was the first thing that also popped up in Thomas Massey's mind as well, that Starlink it would be 600 bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're talking... Now, I, before we get into all the issues with, with Starlink, the $42 billion for 8.5 million families is $4,941 per family. Now, that's to get the internet to their house. And maybe there's a little bit of money in there for subsidizing bills, but probably not for very long. Plus, it's going to cost way more money than that, and they're going to get to way less houses. It's going to cost five times as much money and they're going to get to 2 million homes, not 8.5. That's what's actually going to happen. And so like this one... Well, they don't even know where the 8.5 million are. <laughs> oh, when you drill down to just Washington State and you go to this Mark Vasconi, he says, we got 239,000 locations and we think it's going to cost $3 billion. Now, they gave him less than half of that amount that they say is going to make it to the locations in Washington State to get internet to them. So we're already shortchanged here, and you're talking about a guy who's got a closer, better representation of the people in his state that need this and how much he thinks it's going to cost for this to happen. And he's projecting $12,500 per location. And Starlink is $600 once you buy the terminal and I believe whatever the startup fee is or whatever. And then you got to pay, of course, the, the monthly price. It would still be cheaper for people, for the government to pay people's Starlink bill for 10 years, actually, for just pay the whole thing for 10 years mm-hmm. for them. And it would come out to what this is going to cost here in Washington State, and they could do it way faster. Now, Starlink, the, the problem with that is that they don't have all the satellites up, and so they don't have the continuous perfect coverage everywhere. Yet. Yet, around the U.S. And when a lot of people are using it, it can get bogged down. Okay, so that's that's the thing with Starlink right now. But over the next couple of years, it's just going to get better. They keep launching more and more satellites up there all the time. And that this is just a great example of what the government does to try and solve a problem that they decided they need to solve and how the market itself is actually solving the problem much better, much more efficient, much cheaper. And we're going to ignore that. The side problem is that you still couldn't even do this regardless because if the government announced that they were going to buy a Starlink terminal for 8.5 million people, right now, if they are willing to pay $5,000 per family to get internet to 8.5 million people, then the cost of a Starlink terminal will go up to roughly $5,000. Mm, it's weird how that happens. And that yeah. is what happens when the government decides to fund things. Mm. And... So you still you wouldn't even be able to do it at the price of the Starlink is right now. Now, not that they would do that because there's still a lot of people that are going to buy it outside. They wouldn't be able to. But maybe you can get the government to subsidize it or you get like Starlink insurance. They'll just cover it when people want to buy Starlink. You know, you want to get Internet insurance, you know, just yeah. force insurance companies to cover that, too. Yeah. It's a precondition not having insurance, not having the Internet. <laughs> this is Biden care. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's important. Yeah. OK, so it, economics is mu- much more difficult and if they decided they were going to provide Starlink to everyone, the price of Starlink would jump up quite a bit. The reason that they're probably doing this is because a lot of these companies, a lot of union companies, they're going to be digging all the lines 
for all this fiber. And those are the people that have been greasing the wheels heavily mm. for the people that voted for this bill. Of Hunter's hookers. And so you've got a decade of work that doesn't even have to get finished. We know it's not going to get internet to 8.5 million families. And we know it's going to cost five times more than what they're projecting right now. And it's going to take more time. They're saying by 2030. Mm. It's not going to happen. Okay. Never has. But what is going to happen is yearly, all of these companies with a whole bunch of union jobs digging holes are just going to get money shoveled over to them, digging lines to nowhere for years at a time. What if you like dig a line to a house, but then those people move out? <laughs> at least the house has yeah. it. What do you do if you dig the line and you move on to the next place and then another person moves over here down the street? Like, mm-hmm. how long do they have to wait to get the line yeah. brought over here? You know, what if I build a cabin in the middle of the woods and I really want, I, I mean, I need broadband out there and they won't come to my cabin. But it'd be an interesting experiment to see if they would be forced to provide, like find the most remote location in the United States, an area most known for, for its, its remoteness, remoteness. <laughs> which you wouldn't know about. No, we don't remote. know about it. Yeah. So find that location. I want someone. All you billionaires listening right now, I want you to put a freaking house in that area right there. Complain that you can't get broadband service and see if the government spends $150,000, to pay people to run a fiber line all the way out to your house. Because we need it. Come on, man. I've been wondering, like, what is wrong? What happened? You know, is this even fixable? Can we possibly win this? And I'm, I've been trying to figure out what it is, and I think it's the moral high ground has been seated. What? And one thing, listen, I sent you that video of Jordan Peterson talking at the, uh, was it the Dave Ramsey thing? or what? Dave Ramsey interview, yeah. He made Ayn Rand's case for what was wrong with conservatives. When we talk about capitalism and markets, we tend to make the argument that it works better. As if socialism worked better, it would be fine to enslave each other to each other. That's not the case. It's a bad argument. The argument is that it is the only moral system. And socialism, all the other isms, are immoral. And then you build on from there. It's great that it happens to also work better than everything else. What a coincidence. That's weird. But since we don't make that argument, that this is the moral system, that it's great to be wealthy as long as you earned it justly, you didn't steal from people. You know, even so, we've stopped making that argument, and people have been, well, we haven't, and people have been afraid to make that argument. Instead, we'll look at graphs and figures and look at how much better this has worked than this. And what that does is it leaves it open for people to say, well, if we just get the right people in, they can organize the economy a little bit better. Uh, you see, in this country with a population half the size of New York City, they did a great job. And so that's what we should do. And you, you skirt away from the moral argument, which is that people own themselves, that you don't own other people, and it's not right to force them to do things. It's not right to force them to work and then take their money, whatever percentage you vote to take away from them. It's just not moral to do. And so whatever other arguments you make are dead to me. They're dead to me. All right, y'all, I hope you've enjoyed those discussions. Now, coming up, we're going to be talking about climate change, a deep dive into some misleading reporting I've seen over the last little bit. 
And then we're going to talk about RFK Jr., some of his ideas on vaccines. We are not scientists, but I do want to talk about some of the things we've heard him say. And then this hit piece from Reason Magazine or this video, is it a hit piece? Are they right? I don't know. You decide. Let's talk about it. We'll do that right after the break. What's up, y'all? This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie. I'm Nate Thurston, and we're back. About to talk about some climate change. I'm hanging out with the Fed Haters Club, who's part of the Good Morning Liberty Fed Haters Club. Good Morning Liberty is the podcast that Charlie and I do every single day of the week when we want to. So if you like some of the content that you've been hearing, then go check that out on your favorite podcast app and all of the social medias and everything Uh, do that as well. But by going to joingmail.com, these people have been hanging out with me in the Fed Haters Club as I talk about some of these subjects or as we talk about some of these subjects. Charlie's not here right now as I record some of these intros or even this specific segment, Uh, but it's not his fault. He's traveling. That's okay. I was combing through the internets today to see if uh, I could figure out what I was going to talk about. And Let me tell you what, first off, it wasn't that easy because all I can tell from the big news organizations I go to is that we're all about to die from climate change. That's a fact, but it's not a debate. There's no time to talk about it because we're all about to die. For instance, like the front of the Washington Post, their page today, it just says historic deadly New England floods trap residents. And then you go down here to the bottom and it says Florida ocean temperatures at, quote, downright shocking levels. We've got Canada seeing its farthest north 100 degree temperature. We've got a sprawling dome of heat that's engulfing most of southern U.S. It's all just a bunch of climate change fear porn. And that's fine if that's the kind of thing that gets you going in the morning. You know, that's fine. It keeps going down here at the bottom. Places in the U.S. most at risk for extreme rainfall. What extreme heat does to the human body? Where extreme heat will pose the biggest threat? It just keeps going. Even the New York Times as well. Front page right here. Don't pay attention to this other weird thing that's going on the uh, the top right. I'm not exactly sure what that is. But uh, residents rescued with the torrential rainfall in New England. Dangerous heat engulfs western U.S. More than 61,000 people died from heat waves across Europe last summer. And we'll be talking about that one specifically because it kind of made me a little bit upset. Now, I will say a little bit of my climate change disclaimer. I'm not what you'd call a climate denier because I don't know what the heck that actually is. Is it possible that we could unnaturally upset the balance of carbon in the atmosphere by pumping CO2 into the atmosphere at a fast enough pace? It's possible. If we did that, would we be able to change weather patterns? It's possible, okay? Is that exactly what's happening right now? Can you blame this rainfall? 
on climate change? Can you blame this heat wave on climate change? No, not really. You can't blame any single event on climate change. That's just what I believe, okay? Should we have cleaner energy? I think that if we can, if it's affordable, if it's efficient, I think that's good. I do not think that solar panels or wind are the answer for this energy. I think nuclear and natural gas are the answer for this cleaner energy. I know that natural gas is still a fossil fuel. I get it, but it is much cleaner than coal and burning wood and all that stuff that people are moving to after they close down their nuclear plants. Okay, so I think we should move to those things. The problem when you say, all right, oh, maybe the climate is changing, maybe be better if we could have cleaner energy. None of the plans we have right now are going to solve this problem. They're not even projected to solve this problem. And they'll end up hurting more people than they're apparently trying to save in the first place. When we look at climate change, when we talk about it, when we talk about the green movement, we have to ask what the goal is. What is it that people like Biden or John Kerry or anyone else, what what are they trying to solve? My guess would be that they would answer that they want to save human lives, that they want to save people. Well, in that case, and Greta Thunberg, yeah, that's another person. You know, what are you doing? Why do you want to do this? Why is this such a big problem? I think they would answer that they want to save people's lives, that people are going to die because of this. And if that is the case, then any time we consider some type of policy or law, we would need to see if more people would die as a result of that, or if it would actually save lives in doing so. For instance, taking down the world's economy or preventing third world countries in Africa from rising up like we did by having cheap energy. How many people die in Africa because of curable diseases, because they don't have clean enough water, they don't have electricity in areas? How many people die because of that? If we stop them from getting clean, or if we stop them from getting efficient and affordable energy, are we actually saving lives in the process? We probably are not. We're probably expending their lives to maybe save some lives in some richer, wealthier countries, but maybe not even that. It's all very complicated. It's not just as easy as we're not going to use coal and burn wood or use oil or any kind of fossil fuels anymore. It's not that easy. One of these stories here from the Washington Post, just a quick example of how they like to pull a fast one on you with their headlines. All those headlines I've seen have been very scary headlines. You read those things every day, you're going to start to get worried, you know. Maybe we do need to have higher taxes on the fossil fuel companies, or maybe we do need to put more of other people's money into solar panels and wind farms. Not my money, it's always someone else's money that goes into that. For instance, this one, historic Deadly New England floods trap residents and destroy roads. Now, as we've had a couple weeks of breaking records, world records, historic records, hottest in history, all of those that we've seen, I believe July 4th was a day where we were seeing that, the world average world temperature, hottest ever recorded, goes back to 1979. By the way, when it comes to the average temperature around the globe, which means nothing, we know that. 
But when they say historic, deadly New England floods, I'm like, okay, what year? What are we going back to? You know, how are we going to do this? I'm not sure about Canada, Jeff. I think we pulled the plug on them. I think they all burned up. I haven't been hearing anything about them, and I'm not seeing a lot of smoke anymore these days, or at least I'm not seeing a bunch of pictures of it. So mission accomplished, in my view. (laughs) Kidding, of course, about that. Historic deadly New England floods trap residents. Now, the historic part of this, just to let you know, it goes back to 2021 and, and 2011. Those are the dates. Those are the historic dates that they go back to. And they didn't beat those dates, by the way, because if they did, they would have used the earlier years. Okay? So the historic levels, first off, 2021 and maybe 2011 that we have so far. And those are the only dates mentioned in this Washington Post article. But they're able to put the word historic in the title of it, which leads you to believe what? That we've broken all of the records, right? It didn't even break 2021 or 2011. Just want to point that out. You got always got to look. In this, in this case, it was only in the second paragraph. That's all it was. I want to get on to this interesting article because the experts, they're at it right now. And experts are speculating. So we got very scientific analysis happening right now. They are experts and they are speculating that climate change is increasing kidney stone cases in kids. And so here's the report from the experts that we have. Experts are speculating that climate change and other factors are driving the increase in kidney stone cases among children and teens. Experts told NBC News that just three decades ago, kidney stones were largely a disease that affected middle-aged white men. But they now increasingly affect children and teens, especially in the summer. Okay. The number of annual kidney stone cases increased by 16% from 1997 to 2012. But in kids, well, 15 to 19-year-olds, that went up 52% higher among females in that age bracket. We'll just keep drilling this down. Kidney stones among children doubled from 1997 to 2012, according to the study, while black children and adults suffer kidney stones at a higher rate than their white peers. That is because of kidney racism, of course, but we all learned that in school already. Doctors had not determined exactly what's driving the increase among youth, but speculated that climate change, a diet of ultra-processed foods, and the increased use of antibiotics among children are causing dehydration, according to NBC News. So they are actually speculating that it's dehydration, and they are able to add climate change into this, which is adding to the dehydration. Of course, it has to be climate change. It can't be, as someone, as Bailey said, the monster energy drinks. It can't be substituting some kind of a crappy juice for water. Of course, not like cranberry juice, which can help with that stuff. Just soft drinks instead of water. Or maybe you got to put something in your water all the time. Or maybe there's more crap on our food. Or maybe. There's even aging pipes that are bringing us our water, and the water's not as good either. And we're getting more kidney stones. No, it's actually climate change. It's this 0.7 degree increase average in temperature that is causing a doubling 
of kidney stones in children because kids play outside at the same rates that they used to? No, kids actually play outside way less than they used to, which makes this argument extremely weird to me because they're spending less time outside, which is where you get the outside temperatures, which is what would matter for climate change and causing dehydration. Now let's look into that just a little bit. By the way, the act, the expert that they talked to says that they focused on the relationship between temperature and kidney stone presentations for a decade. The summary is that hot days increase the frequency of kidney stone events. The risk of these events is higher among males than females and better predicted. I'm talking about heat metrics there. While it's unlikely that climate change has been a significant contributor to the increase in kidney stones among children and adults over the last 20 years, it is likely that climate change will increase the number of people affected by stones in the future. So even though they've had a doubling of kidney stones in young children over the last 20 years, they say that it's unlikely that climate change has been a significant contributor, but it's likely that it will be a significant contributor into the future, just not this time that it's doubled over this period of time. If y'all can make sense of that, that's totally fine. The other thing that I did find is that kids are spending way less time outside, which makes this argument really weird to me. American children, let's see, 65% of parents surveyed said that they played outside every day during their childhood, while only 30% of their children do the same. 65% of parents surveyed said they played outside, and only 30% of those people said that their children do the same thing now every day. I found plenty of numbers, and it seems like the rates of kids just playing outside have gone down quite a bit, all right? Clearly, video games, maybe crime, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. You know, these days, you could end up getting your kids taken away if you do what, back in my day, what we were able to do, or back in our parents' days, you know, riding your bike across town to pick something up, uh, or just spending all day outside by yourself riding a little... I don't, do people do that still? Do you just get on your bike and you just go to the other side of town when you're like 10 years old? Is that a thing? Maybe 12. Okay, maybe 12. Does anyone know any kids that still do that? I don't think that's a thing anymore. It definitely used to be a thing when I was growing up. We were outside all the time. Gives me a good opportunity to say kids these days, you know? And so those gosh darn video games and their Netflix and their and it's their cell phones. It's their cell phones. That's what it is. All right. That's the problem that we have. Now brings me to one that really grinds my gears. It really gets my gears a grinding. And it was this article from the New York Times. And it says the summer heat waves killed 61,000 in Europe last year. Study says 61,000 people killed in the heat waves in Europe last year. That's a lot of people, okay? I don't like that. I don't like that those people died, and neither do the people in the New York Times. And when people see these numbers, well, what do you think? I mean, that's got to be some kind of a record, of course. Maybe it is a record. Is it a record on a percentage basis because our populations have increased quite a bit? No, it's not a record on a percentage basis, of course, because we're getting better and better with shelter and air conditioning. Clearly, 100 years ago, more, a higher percentage of the population 
would have died even if the temperature was a degree lower. All right, 61,000 people died, though. We've got to stop this. You know what we have to do? We have to stop the earth from getting any warmer. That way we save people's lives. Because remember, what we talked about at the beginning was, what's the point of all this? If not to save people's lives and give, I don't know, just give people more fulfilling, easy, meaningful life. I don't know. Well, then we need to save their lives. More than 61,000 people died. This is from the New York Times because of last year's brutal summer heat waves across Europe, according to a study published on Monday in the journal Nature Medicine. The findings suggest that two decades of efforts in Europe to adapt to a hotter world have failed to keep up with the pace of global warming. Here's a quote. In an ideal society, nobody should die because of heat said Joan Ballister, a research professor at the Barcelona Institute for Global Health and the study's lead author. In an ideal society, nobody should die because of heat. Okay, I'll bite. Sure, in an ideal society, every, there, there will be no deaths because of heat. There will be no deaths, actually, and we'll just, we will lay there and things will appear in front of us and we will just live glorious lives, never moving or never having to go outside or never do anything really. And everything will just be so perfect and there will be no death and there will be no pain and there will be no suffering. Said Joan Ballister. That was not a full quote there. The summer is likely to be, this summer is likely to be even worse. On top of climate change, the earth has entered a natural El Nino weather pattern during summer for the first time in four years bringing about conditions that will turn up the heat in many parts of the world. This season is shattering various global temperature records. Extreme heat have been expected that summer based on, oh, so we're going to look at the year 2003. That's what they are comparing. They had a lot of deaths in 2003, and they decided they were going to adapt to this. That's why they said two decades trying to adapt to this problem. Did they do it? Did it get better? They say no, and then later they're going to say yes. I want to bring up something that is very annoying to start off. Here's the journal. There's Nature Medicine. You see over here on the right, this is the risk of death. This risk of death to the right as the temperature increases. Here is the risk over here, much higher as the temperature decreases. As the temperature goes down, you will see that the risk of death actually goes up higher than the risk of death when the temperature is going higher, okay? But to continue, as climate change continues, the world can expect more and more deaths from extreme heat, Dr. Ballister added. This is where I start to get kind of frustrated reading this, because as I'm reading this, and as I read the entire study today, and the entire, you know, summary of the study, they don't talk about deaths from cold ever. And this doctor keeps saying that we can expect more and more deaths from extreme heat. Okay, yeah, as it gets hotter, we can expect more deaths from extreme heat. Congratulations. What is the goal? Is the goal for less people to die or more people to die? I'm not arguing in favor of climate change, okay? I'm not voting for climate change here. But if we're trying to save people's lives, this is one that doesn't work out for you. Because way more people die from the cold. Let me continue in the article before we go through these numbers. Dr. Ballister and his colleagues took the official reports of total excess mortality 
from June through August 2022 and estimated how many of those deaths could be attributed to heat instead of other unusual factors like the coronavirus. Just to clarify one more time, they looked at excess mortality and they estimated how many of those deaths could be attributed to heat. They didn't look up deaths that were specifically notated because of heat or whatever. They they picked a number. So that's cool. They used epidemiological models, meaning they matched recent historical temperature trends in different regions of Europe with mortality trends over the same period to establish numerical relationships between deaths and temperature swings. That is how they were able to estimate this. They keep talking over and over again about how more and more people are going to die because of the extreme heat. I want to show you these numbers. In The Lancet, this study was published in July 2021. It covers the year 2000 to 2019. So over a large amount of time, we've got, once again, what is the goal of this green movement? It is, to, is it to save people's lives? I get sick of the talk about the extreme heat because of this right here. From the year 2000 to 2019, in the areas that they observed, they did not look at every single country. They didn't just make estimations. They looked at actual records, but they didn't look at every single country. Globally, they have 5,083,000 excess deaths due to temperature. Temperature swings, okay? Either too hot or too cold. They got 5 million deaths globally. 4,594,000 of those are from cold-related deaths, and 489,000 of those are from heat globally. If we look in North America, we've got 171,000 related to cold and 20,000 related to heat. If you look in Europe, you've got 657,000 related to cold and 178,000 related to heat. I remember they did not look at every single country. This was, I believe, in 18 countries over that period of time. So just to clarify these numbers a little bit better for you. Globally, they have 8.52% of these excess deaths were cold-related, 0.91% were heat-related. All right? Or if you look at that per 100,000, you got 67 people per 100,000 that died from cold and seven per 100,000 that died from heat. But when you look at Europe, you got 89 per 100,000 that died from cold and 24 per 100,000 that died from heat. And so we go through this whole study in the, in the Journal of Medicine here. And they don't talk about cold-related deaths whatsoever. Now, they don't have to talk about cold-related deaths because this study specifically was heat-related mortality in Europe during the summer of 2022. I would like to ask a question. Why didn't they say temperature-related mortality in Europe during the summer of 2022? My guess is that because likely they would find that temperature-related mortality probably went down 
heat might have gone up, but cold probably went down. And since cold is such a larger portion of those deaths, they would actually end up with a smaller number, which is why they only looked at heat-related mortality. So when you see people hitting the panic button about heat-related deaths, you want to ask them, okay, well, how many people die from cold? That's a question. It's just a question. Let's answer it. What's your goal? Do you not? You don't want people to die, okay? You're trying to save people's, trying to save people's lives. Well, actually, this one from temperature-related deaths works out in everyone's favor when it gets warmer. So maybe we should just stop using this one to put people in the panic mode. All right, folks. When we get back, we're finally going to get into our talk on RFK Jr. Some of his ideas on vaccines. We get a little segment on the hate speech law in Ireland and how ridiculous that is and some of this controversy that has been sparked between Reason Magazine and RFK Jr. and some of the other people in the Libertarian Party and they're very, very upset about what Reason had to say about RFK. So we'll talk about all that when we get back. Okay, we're back. Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie. And now we're finally about to talk about RFK. First off, I want to talk about this thing that's happened with Reason. I've been following Reason Magazine for a long time. We use a lot of their pieces when we're talking about things going on in the news. They've always been pretty good to me. It turns out, I didn't know that they were shills for Big Pharma or whatever, but if you read the comments on one of their most recent posts pertaining to RFK Jr., uh, that's what you would see. Of course, if you hear me talking back and forth with people during this, I just want to remind you that that's the Fed Haters Club. They join via joingml.com. GML stands for Good Morning Liberty, which is Charlie and I's podcast that we do every single day of the week when we want to. There's 1,021 episodes of Good Morning Liberty waiting for you on your favorite podcast app. I want to get back to some libertarian infighting happening right now. Reason posted a video, and uh, it's about RFK Jr. I wanted to go through some of it. We're not going to watch the entire thing, uh, but we'll watch the last part of it at least. We'll watch the last part of it at least. Um, RFK Jr. is not worthy. This is from Reason. RFK Jr. is not worthy of the rehabilitation tour he's getting from various pundits, podcasters, and tech luminaries. He pushes tabloid quality reporting and he wildly extrapolates from little grains of truth. The last part of that I actually um, I actually agree with. I think he does push tabloid quality reporting and I think he does wildly extrapolate from small grains of truth. I think that that's true. He also could be right about some things. I'm not even saying he's wrong. But he... he he does have a bias, and he will take small things and extrapolate from those. That, that is true. Now, is he not worthy of the real rehabilitation tour he's getting? Uh, I don't know. Uh, if it's what people want to hear. Uh, and what do you mean by rehabilitation? The guy just goes out there and says what he thinks. I don't really think he needs to rehabilitate that. Now, when it comes to libertarians and RFK Jr., he's not someone that I can even consider. Number one, he's not a libertarian, and I don't mean that he's not a real libertarian or he's not a 
he's not a pure enough libertarian or he's not perfect. He's bad on this one thing. You know, he doesn't want to take away taxes. He wants them to be 12% instead or a flat tax or something like that. No, I mean, he's literally not a libertarian and he's not a conservative either. I'm not sure what he is. He's kind of an old school Democrat, old school liberal, I guess. Unfortunately for RFK Jr., unfortunately for me and my vote, potential vote towards him, I think he's right on a lot of things. I think he, I think we agree on a lot of things. I think he's right for the wrong reasons, though. And that always scares me when people are right for the wrong reasons, because that means that they're not going to do principled things to fix the problems that we agree on. And they could actually leave a structure that's going to be just as bad or worse when they are inevitably gone. And when it comes to RFK, you got to ask, well, who's going to be there after him? What is he going to do to make sure that people are not going to abuse this system after him? And that is what I would like to ask him this week, if I can get a hold of them and have them come by our media booth at Freedom Fest. That is what I want to ask him about. I want to talk about vaccines. I want to talk about all that. I want to know what he's going to do to stop this. If he thinks the CIA is dangerous, if he thinks the FDA is dangerous, Big Pharma, all of these things, what's he going to do? Because when Joe Rogan asked him about that, he essentially said that we needed to get the right people that wanted the, that had the right goals into those positions, that we need to clean house and put the right people in office or the right people in these bureaucracies. That's not going to do it, folks. That's not it. Trying to get the right people into these positions of power is not it. We're going to have to get rid of the power. Unfortunately, I think he's right for the wrong reasons because um, his dad and his uncle were murdered, and I think he's really upset about the system and the structure that allowed or caused that to happen. And I think he wants to fix that system potentially, or at least clean it up, at least clean house. But I don't think he wants to completely take it down. He just wants to put moral, moral superior beings in place. That's what it sounds like to me. Let's play some of the video from Reason and see uh, if y'all can understand why people are so upset with them. Let me get to the video. I want to, let's just look through some of the comments. RFK Jr. not worthy of this. I uh, already read that to you. Uh, someone says reason has really gone downhill. Who even is this lady? Uh, let's see. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman says ability to be objectively right, but come across as complete weasels. Um, didn't y'all just have him on? Wait, why? Why wait a week to put out a hit piece? Um, it's funny when people start talking about obviously they're being paid by big pharma to do this. I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's possible to disagree with RFK Jr. Uh, Dave Smith's comments on this, by the way, so it's a really bad move by reason. You just had the guy on. You should have brought up these claims and given him a chance to respond rather than putting out a hit piece a week later. Uh, why is reason also trying to dis always trying to discredit the anti-establishment candidate? I don't know if they're always trying to do that. Maybe you guys who follow reason can tell me about that. Okay, he's anti-establishment. I get it. Um, I I think they're right about a lot of the things in this video, though. I'm sorry. This these are my problems, and it bothers me that so many libertarians aren't concerned about these things. You know, there's 
there are valid criticisms of our of our pharma slash FDA cabal that we have right now, and the fact that they're uh, that there's no liability for these companies. And there's plenty of valid criticism, and we should look into more whether or not there are uh, vaccine induced injuries. We need to know that. Why are why are we not seeing commercials for the vaccine that has ten seconds of someone swinging at a park? And then two minutes of all of the ways that this medication could kill you, like we do normal medications. You know, there are problems here. But it doesn't mean that you can always use correlation as causation, which is what RFK Jr. loves to do. And I want to believe all the things that he talks about. I really want to. I think, uh, who just posted this? Um, <laughs> Jeff just posted the the picture of him shirtless. I think he's doing a great job. You know, he's he's showing that he's in good shape. You know, you see him, uh, you see him bench pressing. You saw him doing a backflip off of a boat. You know, stuff like that. He's he's cool. Seems like a cool guy. And I think I think that he is. Uh, I think he truly believes. I think he's sincere in all of these beliefs and all the things that he talks about. Um, I just. I don't agree with the way he looks at this issue, looks at the correlation, and then goes so hard on it that this is the only thing that it could possibly be. Because we fight that all the time. We we always fight it. Now the guy happens to be saying things that we like and we agree with and that attack people that have been uh, attacking us. And so now it's cool to use these things? No. It's not. It's still not for me, even if I like the things that he's saying. All right, I'm going to play some of the video. My main thing I want to play is the last two and a half minutes of the video, uh, but we'll play a little bit of them talking about his ideas on vaccines. It's podcasters and tech luminaries. He's built a career as a professional contrarian. He pushes tabloid quality reporting, and he wildly extrapolates from little grains of truth. He frequently implies that the establishment is corrupt at best, evil at worst, and he winks at the existence of puppet masters pulling the strings of major institutions. His organization, Children's Health Defense, gives opponents of vaccine mandates and government overreach a bad name by lumping us together with anti-vaxxers. That's why most of the polio today, 70% of the polio today is vaccine polio that came from the vaccines. By the way, 80% of the polio cases on earth today according to the WHO, our vaccine strain polio. That means people got it from vaccinated people. In 2022, Children's Health Defense made the same point in a piece headlined, Polio, why vaccines are to blame for rising number of cases. It claimed that cases have been on the rise globally since 2016, and the resurgence is related to the use of vaccines. Actually, global polio cases fell by 99% between 1988 and 2022, and we're extremely close to eradication, thanks to vaccines. What Kennedy said is technically true, but misleading. He is referring to polio spread through untreated sewage by a form of the vaccine that uses live virus. Not only has that version of the vaccine been retired, but it can only cause an outbreak in unvaccinated communities, such as some Hasidic neighborhoods of New York City and outlying areas. For the last 18 years, Kennedy has been a leading figure in the anti-vax movement. My principal objective is that vaccines, um, in the, the childhood vaccines, are immune from pre-licensing safety testing. Pharmaceutical drugs are now the third biggest killer in America after um, after heart attacks and cancer. All right, I, 
<clears throat> I do want to stop it right there for that one. Pharmaceutical drugs are the third biggest killer in America after heart attacks and cancer, he says. Now, what would you guys, hanging out with me, what would you think that is? Is it people taking their medications uh, like I'm taking mine? Um, could be climate change, be medical malpractice, a lot of people die in hospitals. Man, a lot of people. Um, is that the third highest medical malpractice? It's a lot. It's a shocking amount of people that die uh, from from that. Um, opioids, I believe, is going to be the thing that he is talking about. Pharmaceutical drugs. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what he's talking about, but if what bothered me because I've heard him use this before. People abusing medications. Um, that's that's not the same thing as the medication killing people. And the problem is, I don't want to defend them. I don't want to defend the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies or uh, them pushing highly addictive drugs and lying about their uh, their uh, addictiveness or anything like that. Uh, the problem is, it tells me that he's got a really big bias when he words it like that to me. I, I think that there's a lot of personal responsibility that goes into those numbers of people using drugs, and it removes people's personal responsibility and places all in pharmaceutical companies, uh, which bothers me when it, when it comes to him. Now, all these other things on vaccines, like I, I, don't, I don't care about those Things. I think we need to question all of these. Hey, I didn't get my COVID vaccine because I didn't really know what was going on with that thing. All right. And that, that's fine. Maybe some of the information I got came from him. I don't know. I, I have no clue. I didn't trust it because there's no liability and there's no liability for all the other vaccines either. That's not good. I don't like that. Okay. Um, that's something that should be fixed. That would have helped a lot of people. We talked about that at the beginning of this whole COVID thing and the whole vaccine push is that if you wanted to stop people from being so vaccine hesitant, well then give the company some liability on this. Uh, they're not going to do that, uh, but that's how you could have helped. Okay. Charlie did get his microchip. I think he only got the one microchip. I don't think he got the rest of them. Not sure. Um, was it just one? Do you remember if he ever, anyone remember him getting a second? Did he just go get one shot so he could go to Italy uh, for his <clears throat> super important wedding? Scrutiny, even when examined by people who don't have a dog in the fight. So what would RFK Jr. be Here's like as president? Part. part of his appeal, to libertarians at least, is that he's staunchly anti-war and a huge critic of COVID lockdowns and mandates. But he's fundamentally a big government liberal. He supports Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. He favors heavy-handed government intrusion in the realm of environmental policy. He's anti-nuclear energy. He wants pharmaceutical companies to burn in hell. And he seems to believe in an almost Alex Jones-esque dramatized concept of the deep state. He also favors massive wealth redistribution. I, I don't think these huge disparities in wealth are healthy for our country or healthy for democracy. He correctly points out that government and big business have an unholy alliance. 
The CIA is ultimately working for industry like the oil industry, the coal industry, and the military contractors. I mean, USDA is run by Cargill, Smithfield, um, Monsanto, um, Bo Pilgrim, John Tyson. But he doesn't understand that too much regulation is the root cause. He just thinks large companies are inherently bad. He says he's concerned about government spending and throws out wild figures to make his point. We spent $16 trillion on the lockdown. We wasted. Got nothing for it. $8 trillion on the Ukraine war. That's $24 trillion. This part I don't think is important, by the way. He just, he messed up. Pay for nothing. In my but opinion. he's actually no better than any establishment Republican or Democrat in his unwillingness to scale back elder care entitlements that are actually responsible for driving the federal government into bankruptcy. I would say it's a red line for me to touch Social Security or Medicare. What's surreal about libertarians and conservatives now embracing RFK Jr. is that he's publicly fantasized about jailing his political opponents and cracking down on free speech for years. At the People's Climate March in 2014, Kennedy said this. Well, I think they should be in jail. I think they should be enjoying three hots and a cot at The Hague with all the other war criminals who are there. Do I think the Koch brothers should be prosecuted for reckless endangerment? Absolutely. The First Amendment does not protect fraudulent speech. If, you're, if you say something that is fraudulent, you're not protected. It just seems like that way madness lies because the government will always come up with a pretext for saying your speech is not just wrong, it's criminal and you need to be shut down. Well, we have, I don't know, but I do believe that prosecutors and judges make decisions about what's fraud all the time. He's not a real free speech advocate, and he's not especially thoughtful about the principles or people he endorses. After all, this is a man who once heaped praise on the socialist dictator Hugo Chavez, touting his bogus literacy programs and commitment to democracy. So what would RFK Jr. do in the White House? And is it fair to hold 15-year-old soundbites against him, as some of his fans that I've sparred with have claimed? One thing I'll say for RFK Jr. is that unlike most politicians, he's been extraordinarily consistent in his views. He thinks the world is divided into heroes and villains. All right, that's enough of that. So um, Nate in the group said, seems like clips taken out of context. That's uh, that's possible. I think a lot of that also pertains to earlier in the video, uh, some of his clips about vaccines and stuff. Uh, same thing, some stuff taken out of context. What he did do, you know, I listened to his Rogan interview and he'll say, uh, he'll make a claim and then he'll say, well, and you need to, you know, look it up and do the research. And I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on this. Uh, this is beyond my realm of expertise. Uh, and, and of course, those things get cut out of the conversation uh, when, when people are talking about what RFK Jr. said. So I still think that a lot of the points she just made are correct when he talks about the CIA or, or pharma and the FDA uh, or the USDA and Monsanto, he typically is going to blame the companies for corrupting these institutions. And it's going to be more taking away the corporation's power over the FDA and the USDA than it's going to be taking away power from those agencies. And, I don't think he's great on free speech. However, out of context, that last part was taken. Um, is he actually anti-nuclear energy? I haven't looked at that one yet. That one, um, maybe his opinions have changed on that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I want to I know what he thinks about nuclear energy. Uh, so 
my problem is, is, um, so uh, Magoo said RFK is still liberal and liberals are terrible. Yeah. Um, that's, that's basically what's happening right now. Is he better than all of the other ones? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Although I think his views for welfare programs and wealth inequality and climate and uh, a lot of these things are going to be some of the same that we have right now. Only we'll have someone who's going to maybe take back the 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 COVID lockdown type situations that we have for four years. If he makes it that long, given his family history, if he got elected, I'm sorry. There's I have no evidence that he would make it through an entire term. You know, sorry to sorry to put it that way. And then what? And so my question is, as a libertarian, can I support someone who doesn't get at the underlying problem? This is tough. This is really tough. Is he even as good as a conservative that might chip away at the power structure a little bit? Or is he better than that? Because we we like what he's saying. He's a little bit more extreme than a bunch of the conservatives are going to be on these issues. Should libertarians only vote for straight up, strictly pure libertarians? That way we never feel the sense of winning an election our entire lives. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I want to know what he would do to fix the problems. And if he is just going to say that we need a better director of the FBI or a better director of the CIA or people who have the right morals to be running the FDA. He, at one point, which they point out in the video, he talked about we need stricter scrutiny on the medications, that they're actually, it's too easy to get medications onto the market. We've got the exact opposite problem. Actually, we've always talked about that. And then we get the COVID drug, which is on the market immediately, and we don't want to take it. Uh, it part of my issue was that they didn't do long enough term tests on it. So there's a balancing act on that. But we've always talked about how hard it was to get medications to market. A lot of his problems are that the FDA has been bought out by these pharmaceutical corporations, and they make it too easy for these pharmaceutical corporations to get drugs out there. And so he wants... He wants to take away this massive corporate power structure that we have. I don't know, guys. It's just, I'm mad about COVID and the lockdowns and all that stuff that happened. Um, I'm trying not to let that force me into being uh, one of the libertarian RFK pushers. Um, I don't know. And then that, <laughs> Jeff said, libertarian should vote for Trump. Um would would you be kind of getting the same thing? You know, Trump's going to be out for blood this time around. He might just hit the delete button on all the agencies. He might take away more power from these agencies than RFK is going to. RFK's plan is to put angels in power. Maybe Donald Trump is just going to delete stuff altogether when it comes to these agencies. And so... Will we get a more libertarian solution from Trump this time around? Maybe. And we get better economic policies, too. So if libertarians are not going to support a libertarian, that's a great question, I think. Which is better, Trump or RFK Jr.? It's clearly Trump, in my opinion. But I don't know. I've, I've not voted for the guy twice now. I don't know if I'm going to do it this time around. I'm in Tennessee. It doesn't matter. You know, Republicans going to win, whoever the nominee is. So... It's easy for me to say I'm going to get do my 
virtue signal vote out there. Okay, there's part one of the RFK discussion. Next, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of our thoughts on RFK's views on vaccines, autism, and we're going to close out with some free speech conversation as well. All right, all right, okay, folks, this is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie. Tough to believe it, but this is the last segment. We've talked about a lot of stuff tonight for sure. We got a little bit more on RFK Jr. Listen, he's got a lot of ideas, and he's got a lot of uh, ideas that are not okay to be on YouTube from what we can tell. So in this segment, we'll be talking about some of his ideas, and then we're going to talk about some free speech issues that have been happening. We'll even talk about something that's going on across the pond over there. Now, listen, we're not scientists. We're not researchers. And honestly, I haven't spent a ton of time going through all of RFK's ideas. Haven't read his book, honestly. Hadn't looked into him whatsoever until about, I don't know, four months ago. We'll just say that. But we're going to talk about some of his ideas, whether or not we uh, can line up with those how he wants to fix some of these problems, and maybe some holes that we can poke in the story. You might not like it. And if you don't like it, send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us, nate at goodmorningliberty.us. And if it's really, really strong hate mail, send that to charlie at goodmorningliberty.us. That's charlie at goodmorningliberty.us. Just the nicer things to me, and then the really, really, really mean, awful, terrible things over to Charlie. Yeah, thank you. There's two ideas that I uh, clearly have not fully researched and we're not going to make determinations on, but it is always good to question things. I'm going to question both the main narrative and RFK Jr. at the same time. Vaccines causing autism. He is very big on this. There's not conclusive evidence either way. They don't know what causes autism. That includes them not knowing that vaccines do or don't cause autism. I pay a lot of attention to autism because I have an autistic kid, mm-hmm. you know, and he did have all of his shots. I mean, I'm not saying you would like to know if those shots caused his autism, course, wouldn't you? Of course. Yeah. For, but for other people, it's Think, not going to reverse him. To me, it's all about the future. It's like, okay, well, hopefully we can end causing something mm-hmm. like this. Do I believe that vaccines cause autism? Likely not. But the answer is, I don't know. And I think it's worth questioning. It's absolutely worth like, questioning. Why can't we just question it? But the problem is everyone speaks on authority on the on these issues, including RFK Jr. and including the people who say that, that they don't cause autism. And essentially, the scientific consensus says we have no idea what the hell causes autism. No. Including vaccines or not. We don't know. But the people who believe one thing speak on authority with it. Like they know it could be pop tarts. You got no clue. There's a lot of bad stuff in there. Parker started eating pop tarts. I mean, maybe that's when when everything flipped. Now here's a concerning chart for you. Surveillance year in two in the year two thousand, one in one hundred and fifty children were diagnosed with autism. And in the year twenty twenty, one in thirty six children were diagnosed with autism. I mean, this is difficult though, these types of stats. Don't worry, Charlie. Okay. I've got it. <laughs> don't, All right. Don't worry. So RFK Jr. will use this stat. And once again, I I am not saying that vaccines cause or don't cause. 
But here's what RFK Jr. does wrong, in my opinion. He uses this as a large portion of his proof that vaccines cause autism. 1 in 150 versus 1 in 36 is, tells you almost nothing. Correlation does not equal causation. Now, and he says, they talk about that mm-hmm. some in the episode. He mentions that, but he still alludes to, well, it's got to be something. No one my age, like you don't know people my age who are severely autistic. And he's got a point with that. I started to think, like, who are the people that are in their 50s and 60s that are autistic children that you see now, only they're in their 50s and 60s? And I'm like, Personally, I don't know anyone. Well, also, but, they could be people that are undiagnosed or they've learned how to mask or, you know, they've, they've yeah. learned how to become social because they were forced to. There was no other. Or they're homeless people. Something like that. They could be homeless. They, mm-hmm. could, be, they could be in a nursing home. They, you know, they could be in long-term care somehow. But the fact that like, I don't know anyone is also right, no proof. Right. So here's an issue with this number. I'm, once again, I'm not disproving rfk i'm saying you have to do this when you talk about these numbers you have to do it it goes from 1 in 150 to 1 in 36 what else changed well they added asperger's syndrome into autism diagnosis and then they added another one which is a catch-all pdd nos which they also added into the autism spectrum which is an atypical autism it's not like all the other autism but we don't know what other category to put it in and so we call it autism also And so they added Asperger's, which is uh, Elon Musk, richest person in the world. He's in his 50s. Okay. So there you go. So there's one. (laughs) And then this PDD and OS, which is a catch-all because they can't figure out what else to call it, into the autism spectrum. 2013 Asperger's and other diagnoses were eliminated and folded into a single diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. For instance, if I if I had Parker in 1990, he would not be diagnosed with autism because Parker is what they well, they don't consider it anymore because they don't like using those terms. But I'll say it. He's high functioning. He's in a high functioning autistic kid. Back in 1990, he just would have been considered a kid that has some attention orders, attention deficit. You know, he needed he needed help focusing. They would probably try to put him on Ritalin or something, mm-hmm. but he would be considered a normal kid. Or whatever, but now we know so much about autism that you can pick up the different signs of like him stimming and his food sensitivities and him lining up his trucks and like the way that he pays attention to things that he cares about, how he uh, avoids eye contact and things like that. All of those factors, sound sensitivity and things like that, come into play because they understand a lot more about autism now. But I guarantee you, 30 years ago, he would have just been a, a normal kid who mm-hmm. had a couple social issues that they would, you know, work on. And he, Parker's probably going to end up being a pretty normal adult, but he's still autistic. What, what's another thing about these numbers, Charlie? They're not based on actual autism diagnoses. Those numbers that we just talked about, mm-hmm. 1 in 150 or 1 in 36. They're based on clinicians at schools answering on surveys about whether or not they're autistic and they can use different behavioral disorders to answer whether or not they think someone is autistic. Mm-hmm. Those are questions that you have to ask anytime anyone is talking, including RFK Jr. So for everyone who never just hit your wagon to someone and just believe everything that they ever say, you have to question everything. And that includes questioning people who question everything. <laughs> question us. Yeah. What are, what are my underlying motivations for bringing this to you right now? Now to give credit to RFK because I got to go and I want to be fair. He also talks about the tetanus, the DTP shot in the oral polio vaccine, uh, he tells a story about how this vaccine was actually clearly raising the mortality rate of children that they were giving it to in Africa for like 30 years before they did a study. And here's a study 
from NIH, PubMed, in 2017. This is the actual study that RFK talked about on Joe Rogan's episode. He said that they were out there giving this to people and they just never thought to look whether or not it was actually killing more people than it was helping. The NIH's actual study shows that this DTP vaccine was actually killing more kids than it was helping. Mm. All right. The mortality rate on average was five times higher for kids who received the vaccine than kids who did not receive the vaccine. For women, for girls, uh, RFK mentioned on the uh, show, it was 10 times higher for girls, for people who received the vaccine. Uh, child population has been followed with three monthly nutritional weighing sessions since 1978. See, now I heard RFK talk about this on the episode, and I didn't just go like, oh, man, that's freaking crazy. I can't believe they did that. I went back to it. I found the study that he mentioned. What did he say? I searched it. I found the study, and I looked at the actual results of the study, and it turns out he was telling the truth on it. Now, he talked about the girls and not the boys, and so he gave the 10 times more for girls on average, higher mortality rate, which means the boys was actually way lower for the average to come out to five. Okay. But also, the other thing I'm going to question on this, though, how do we know all the other variables? What are some other ways that these kids or children died, right? Was there a famine that happened during this time? Were more girls getting pregnant and dying from childbirth at this time? Like, there are so many variables to human to human life. They say in this, differences in background factors did not explain the effect. The negative effect was particularly strong for children who received DTP only and no OPV, which was the oral, oral polio vaccine. All-cause infant mortality after three months of age increased after the introduction of these vaccines. They were looking at whole populations, basically. It was essentially a very large natural trial. So there were people in both groups that were living in the same life situations, uh, but some of them receiving these vaccines and some of them not. Mm. And so it's apparently a very big natural experiment, as they say, up, up here at the top. And I, I believe they're not, they're either not using this. Now he makes the claim that Bill Gates is still, that Bill Gates is still using the same vaccine to give to people in Africa and, and uh, other places. I don't know. I couldn't find that part. Bill Gates is pretty good at flooding the search results with disproving anti-vaxxer theories and positive stories and things like that. So I can't tell you whether or not that's true yet. We got to question everything. And I think if it's so easy to disprove RFK Jr. on these things, then then do it. What they should do is pick, let's pick one thing. They should just have a the, the autism conversation. Now, it'd be difficult because they don't know what causes it. So that'd be a pretty difficult one right there. If they want to have the debate over the COVID vaccines, well, then they can have the debate over the COVID vaccines. Uh, that's fine. And just pick that because this is what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to go through the studies that RFK brings up. And then Hotez or someone else is going to have to go through their own studies. And then they're both going to have to poke holes in each other's studies and talk about that. It's going to take a few hours just for one single topic. And at the end of it, they should say, we don't really know. But here's my opinion. Because that's the answer. Because that's the actual answer. I've, and then you have to make the best decision for yourself and your family based on all the information presented. That's it's the only way to really navigate life. Well, that's why it's so important to look at the actual structures. Like when we don't know, you make sure that the incentive structure is properly aligned, that the regulatory system has not been captured by the people that are going to make money off of the regulations benefiting them, which it clearly has, which is why we want to get rid of the uh, the, FD, the FDA and the CDC and all those things, because they're not doing uh, what they say they're doing. They're actually just, it's almost like, it's, it's like giving the pharmaceutical companies uh, the authority to use force. 
And that's essentially what the FDA and the CDC are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got to question that. What are the incentive structures? What are the liabilities if you create something that kills people? Uh, how are we doing these studies? Uh, are they double-blinded? Are they, what are the, geez, the studies with the COVID vaccines? We know that there was a bunch of shady stuff going on. They're kicking out people who have adverse reactions. They're claiming at one point that they're 100% effective on things. I mean, clearly there needs to be a lot of questions answered. And when you don't know about things and you can't make sure that there's only benevolent moral individuals running the agencies or conducting the studies, all you can do is make sure that the proper incentives are in place Mm -hmm. to where if they do the wrong thing, either someone else in the market's going to come up and do the right thing. And that's going to be what people want, or people are going to find out that they did the wrong thing and they're going to get in trouble for it. Either criminally or financially those are the only backstops you can make to try and stop this stuff from happening if you agree with rfk jr then you want to do everything that i just said right then if you disagree with rfk jr then you should want to do everything that i just said right then (laughs) that's the only way to stop all of this stuff from happening the distrust comes from people not knowing and from people knowing that that people have clearly been bought off in these agencies america is a nation that can be defined in a single word I was in the foot, him, uh, foot, foot, excuse me, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. I guess we traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. We Vi- talked about violation this. Violation of rights. Irish people could be jailed for hate speech. Why are we talking about what's going on in Ireland? Because a lot of these things are the logical conclusions of these ideologies. And so I think it's important to cover things like this. Now, I didn't. And they find their way to trickle across the pond. They do. I mean, people already have these ideas. They want to do it. But we have we have the First Amendment here. And so it's been pretty tough so far for them to actually make laws criminalizing speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, Irish citizens who campaign against transgender women being able to use female changing rooms or crisis centers risk jail under an Orwellian hate speech law, critics have claimed. The Irish Senate last week debated the controversial criminal justice incitement to violence or hatred and hate offenses bill 2022. The bill seeks to expand the range of people protected from hate speech to include those with gender identities, including transgender or gender other than those of male or female. Does that mean that trans people can make fun of people for being cisgender? I'll speak their language for a second. Mm. Like if you are hateful towards people for let me tell you i think you're missing an important part of this though the bill seeks to expand the range of people protected from hate speech which means they already have it in place we Mm -hmm. i think we talked about this when we first started like in 2019 four years ago now (laughs) isn't that something they already have hate speech laws over there so now they're going to expand this which i think is really important because as we said it only gets worse Oh, they only get is, more power. Yeah, this is complete <laughs> proof. They're like, well, we're not going to tell you what to say. Well, we would never do that. Well, now they are. Let's listen to this person talk out loud what she is saying right now. I can't believe it's a real. Oh, not that one. Let's talk about this one right here. Criminal justice, incitement to violence or hatred and hate offenses. What do you think about it, Charlie? Because this is what she thinks about it. Mm. Or I don't mean to gender her. They might yeah. have an arrest warrant out for me right now. I'm not That's sure. Right. You can't go to Ireland anymore. When you think about it, all law 
All legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. For the common good. How can you argue against the common good? Mm. God, these. so this is what I reminds me of what Jordan Peterson talks about with the eatable mother. Mm. Like these are these, you know, just disgusting women who can't let their children grow up and get their feelings hurt. That's the thing. Like, like it's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And there, and then she goes on to, to say that, you know, all of our rights, you know, they have to be restricted. You can't have too much freedom. I because mean, of the common good. Too much freedom would, yeah, it would, it would absolutely destroy the common good. And then kids and young adults might have, get their feelings hurt. And if they, that happens, well, I mean, what are we going to do? Oddly enough, she's, and this is always the issue with negative and positive rights. She is restricting a right in order to provide a right to other people. She's restricting the right to free speech in order to provide the right uh, freedom from discomfort, freedom from worry, or freedom from feeling bad about your whatever it is, Mm. feeling unsafe. We all have to go through life never being scared of anything, never being uncomfortable, never feeling like some people might like us or might or might not like us or might hate us. If we don't have that, then we just can't go through life. And so she's willing to take away everyone else's rights in order to provide that right to a very small group of people, I'm, I'm assuming, haven't seen the recent stats on that, and take rights away from a lot of people in order to make herself look better, feel better. Which one is it? Or to just give the government more power. Because protecting these people, they're also, you know, they don't have the First Amendment, but they're also able to control speech. And controlling speech is also very, very important to a government. They love to have this precedent set that they can control everyone's speech because if they ever get out of line, the government, they want to stop people from talking about that. As uh, most of you listen to this podcast know, if you're new, you don't, but my son is autistic. He gets picked up by the bus at our door at the house, and he rides the short bus. Mm-hmm. And um, it has seatbelts on it and stuff, and he has an aide, and he gets to ride the bus and is excited about There's it. Seat every, belts? Mm-hmm, there's seatbelts now. He's excited about it every single morning. He loves riding the bus. And my dad, I was having a conversation with my dad, and he's like, well, aren't you afraid like people are going to make fun of him for riding the short bus? And I was like... I thought about it and I was like, you know, dad, that's not my job. My job is not to try to stop other people from making fun of my son. Now, do I wish that we could stop bullying and all those things? Do I, do I agree with people being bullies and like trying to hurt other people's feelings? Of course I don't. But as a father, my job is to teach my son how to be resilient, how to stand up for himself, how to not be a bully himself, how to stand up for other people, to be... <laughs> To be the one, to be the sheepdog, so to speak, uh, protecting other sheep against the wolves, mm-hmm. right? Um, and protecting himself and standing up for himself. That's my job because 
what what we're trying to do is we're trying to like legislate heaven on earth. <laughs> a serious. You're legislating morality. Exactly. Still. And and I'm not saying I I'm obviously uh, being against something like this uh, does not mean that I'm for hate. <laughs> like I'm against hate and violence and poverty. Like it's some like big deal to be against those things. The problem is is that we live in a world where these types of things are going to exist. And so what what's better? We try to we try to steal rights from other people just so that because they're going to abuse this law. Obviously, they already have. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we're going to steal rights from other people to try to make other people feel good about themselves, which isn't even going to work anyway because you can't make people feel good about themselves, only they can. And I'm and I'm saying they not in, in all senses, okay? <laughs> Only you can feel good about yourself. And prevent forest fires. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially if it's like like a level three, you know? Yeah. And so we, we really need to be taking responsibility for ourselves and our family and teaching people how to be the one uh, to be resilient and stand up for themselves and realize that this is a, it's a cruel world and people are going to hurt your feelings. And, the only person that can do something about that is you. And there's no reason we should be creating tyrannical laws. And I get this is in Ireland, but it won't be much longer before it tries to come over here. Yeah, I mean, if, if we didn't have the First Amendment, we'd already have this and worse here. We'd, it would already be a thing. Mm-hmm. And what, I mean, what you're saying is very important. The, the most important thing is that people learn uh, on your son's side, people learn to be resilient, to put up with things like that to not get their self-worth from what the other people are saying about them anyway, and for bullies to learn that that's not the right thing to do for them. Maybe they'll learn the hard way sometimes. I don't know. We see this a lot. For instance, we have laws like social media laws uh, out in different parts of the country where they're banning TikTok for minors. I can't remember what state. Was it Utah that did that? Uh, don't I don't remember which one it was. Someone can correct me on that. Um, the problem is you don't learn anything from that. You create a scenario where you have a child who hasn't had to put up with any adversity, who hasn't had to learn what to do on social media, what not to do on social media, and how to interact with people and not interact with people on social media. They haven't had to learn from those lessons. And so then when they turn 18, there's other scenarios where things like this happen that we don't you know, we don't talk about here on this, but when they turn 18 and they leave, they just turn into a crazy TikTok and party animal, you know, that had no idea what to and do. And they're naive, mm-hmm. completely naive, easily taken advantage of. Yes. Like, and so the same thing here with kids or anyone who it, it, you make it illegal to bully people or say anything hatred and what they're going to what they're going to mean by hatred is anything negative about it at all or anything that disagrees with the gender ideology cult at the moment. That's gonna that's hatred. Okay. And so then you have a group of people who don't have to put up with anything, but they also haven't developed the character of a person who knows how to put up with something and get over it and be the better person. And so you just have a you just have a society, a world of children who have never had to put up with any adversity until they finally get out there on their own, whatever it is. Listen to some of this. And it's over. The law will also criminalize possessing material intended to be shared 
that could incite hatred towards people with, quote, protected characteristics. Why are only certain people having protected characteristics? I don't know. The material... What kind of material? Also, because I thought we were against like book bans and things. The like material this. does not actually have to be disseminated to the public in any way. But don't worry, folks. Reacting to fears that the bill could have, have a chilling effect on free speech, the government last year told the Irish Times that the bar for criminal prosecution will be quote very high. They promise. So don't. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be really high. Really high, you like Hunter Biden. All right, that's it. We're done. We're out of here for tonight. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Remember, go to joingmail.com if you want to be in the Fed Haters Club and talk to us while we are recording. And also, find Good Morning Liberty on your favorite podcast app. Big thank you to the folks over at Free Talk Live for giving us this opportunity. And we'll see you or talk to you next Tuesday. some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark warden now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com